Well, let's, let's open God's Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, we hope and pray that all you moms are having a wonderful day, that you have been blessed, that you have been spoiled, that you have been uh, enriched and cared for. Um, I do suspect that... Uh, a lot here this afternoon are feeling the fullness of the day because I'm guessing it's been a full day for you as it has been for us. Uh, and uh, so we're going to need the Lord's grace to overcome sluggishness and weariness and to hear Him speak to us uh, today. So let me pray and then we'll open God's Word. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the gift of life. We thank you for moms, um, mothers who brought us into this world and Father nourished us and strengthened us and raised us. Lord, I know that in a congregation this size there are those certainly whose experience with mom may not have always been a happy one or a blessed one or a nourishing one. There may be those here who grieve in varying ways when thinking of mom. Uh, oh, how I pray that comfort and your near and wonderful and comforting presence might be with each one. That, Father, there might be peace, that there might be hope, that there might be joy, that there might be rest. And Father, may it be that as we study your word now, we will learn from your word how, how to reach the next generation, our sons and our daughters, both biologically and adoptively and spiritually, uh, so that Lord, um, the next generation might rise up and bless your name and find their hope in you. Lord, help us now through this study in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5. The Apostle Paul here is writing to the Thessalonians, uh, a local church that he had planted and established that was going through some various sin and sorrow, suffering experiences and he describes his ministry to them. Uh, hear God's word beginning in verse 5. For, Paul writes, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you or longing for you with love, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. 
For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Our message this afternoon is part two of a very short series called The Coming Generation in which we're highlighting our call as adults, whether we are biological or adoptive parents or not, to pass on to the coming generation the truth and the glory of God. You may remember from last week, message one, come let us dazzle them. And then our message today, what I'm calling parental vows. I want to give you two books uh, for, for those specifically who are uh, biological and adoptive parents, two books on parenting that I think will bless you and help you. They're actually written by brothers. Uh, the first book is for raising young children, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And then his brother Paul Tripp wrote the book Age of Opportunity, which is, believe it or not, given that title, a book about parenting teenagers, which very few consider to be an age of opportunity, but indeed it is an age of opportunity. And those two books will go a long way toward equipping you uh, in your role as parents. Last week we looked at Psalm 78, which says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done so that they should set their hope in God. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, the wonders that He has done. In other words, we will dazzle the next generation with who God is and what God has done in this world and through His Son. I, I wish that it were easy. I wish that it were automatic as parents, that, that we could easily dazzle our kids, that we ourselves could be easily dazzled with God. But the reality is that this side of Genesis 3, which was the fall of Adam and Eve into sin and the curse of God upon this planet, this side of that event, everything is hard. You remember in Genesis 3 where God says as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, He says to Eve, from now on the pain of childbirth is going to increase. And you remember what God said to Adam, that from now on working the ground is going to be by the sweat of your brow, and there are going to be thorns, and there are going to be weeds, and it's going to be hard work. What the point of Genesis 3 is that from that point on, everything good was going to be hard. Everything good 
was going to be hard. Nothing good comes easy. And this is true of parenting just like everything else. As hard as we might work, as much as we might love, as much as we might labor as dads and as moms, it is hard work and we can be sure that the enemy of our souls and of our children is going to be planting every conceivable weed and thorn in our kids' hearts that he can manage. It is hard work. And there's, there are no guarantees that if we do the right things as parents that our children are all going to believe or are all going to live and make all the right choices that we want them to make. There are no guarantees that even if we do the right things, they're going to make the right choices. I can pretty much assure you that if we don't do the right things, they're going to make the wrong choices. But we can do the right things and still have them make the wrong choices. However, we live in hope. Right? Did you hear that? We live in hope of the glory of God. We ourselves have seen and been dazzled with the mighty works of God. He is the God who has parted the sea. He is the God who has sent us His Son. He is the God who raised His Son from the dead. He is the God who has come into our lives and transformed us. And He who has dazzled us in this way and done these things in our lives can do it in our children too. We live in hope, but we must labor to love and live in such a way as to make it as, what's the word? I was going to say as easy as possible for our children to be dazzled. What I want to talk about today from the text that has been read to you, or what I, I am calling parental vowels, as in A-E-I-O and U, um, and I don't know. I hope these help you to remember this for at least 10 minutes after I'm done here. These are, these are, these are principles of parenting that are important for us to understand. They are biblical principles of parenting that are important for us to practice so that we can, we can lead our children not just biological or adoptive, but we can lead spiritual children to God. You know what's interesting as we read this text that I just read to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? It's Paul describing his parenting ministry. The irony is that Paul was not married and Paul didn't have kids. And yet Paul realized that his whole life was parental, if you will. He, was, he had spiritual children. He had, he had those in the next generation that he was called to reach. And I want everyone here, if you're single, if you don't have children of your own, I want you to, to approach this text like a Paul approached it. There, there are parenting techniques for you in Raising up the next generation. These apply to you. Make the application in your life. Because I am convinced that every adult in this place, I really believe this, every adult in this place, when 
given time to stop and pause and think. Every adult here wants to make a difference in the next generation. Every one of us wants to leave a legacy of something better than what we received. Every one of us wants to hand on to our children or to the to spiritual children of our lives of faith and a glory and a joy that surpasses that which we ourselves have experienced. So whether you are a parent or not, this is for you. And may God give you grace to apply it as it fits. So I have an A-E-I-O-U outline here this afternoon to help capture what true spiritual parenting looks like. So the A stands for affection. The A stands for affection. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8. Notice verses 7 and 8. Paul says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Notice the affection terms of our passage. Verse 7, we were gentle among you, warm, winsome, the opposite of harsh and cruel. Paul says, we've been like a nursing mom taking care of her own children. The words Paul uses speak of a cherishing and a warming of children. We are, we are like a nursing mom with little ones. Verse 8, we are affectionately desirous of you. Literally, we long for you with love. And why? Verse 8, because you had become very dear to us. You are beloved by us. Paul, the spiritual dad, the spiritual father, says to his children, I love you. I love you. All parenting, whether biological or adoptive or spiritual, requires affection. Next generation ministry begins with and continues with and needs to be saturated with affection appropriate for each relationship. Spiritual parenting and biological parenting means we care, we love, we feel strongly and deeply and tenderly for others. It, we long for the happiness, for the well-being of others. And even when discipline has to happen, it happens in the context of overwhelming affection. For every one moment of discipline, there are a hundred moments of affection. How much affection, parents, do your children feel from you? How much do your kids know that you just plain flat out love them. That your heart is, is moved with tenderness and care and kindness and gentleness and warmth toward them. It's an essential part of parenting. It's also an essential part in the life of the church. The children in this church, the younger generation need to know that we love them, that we're happy to see them. You who are 
adults, how do you greet and how do you care for the children in this church? There are, of course, appropriate and inappropriate ways to do that, but the appropriate is to make sure that you don't walk blindly by the little ones that are running around you. The appropriate is to stop and say hi. The appropriate is to greet them and tell them it's good to see them and mean it. The appropriate is to make this a place where children feel welcomed and cared for and cherished. We must be a church that defies our culture, that treats children as if they're trouble, as if they're in the way. We must be those who say, no, not here. Not here. We want to be like our Savior Jesus who took the time to love the kids. Let's love the kids. Let's cherish them. A is for affection. E is for example. E is for example. First Thessalonians 2 and verse 10. You are witnesses and God also. Verse 10. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. This was an example to these believers. Look back at chapter 1. Just flip back to chapter 1 and verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So Paul says, we were holy and righteous and blameless in our conduct toward you as believers, as your spiritual parents, and that became, we became examples to you so that you imitated us. Parents and adults, here is the, one of the great calls of God upon our life with regard to our children and the next generation. We need to live in such a way, we need to live with such character, with such hope, with such faith that our children can look at us and say, I want to be like that. And we should live in such a way that we can say to our children, now get this, we should be able to say to our children like Paul said to people, be imitators of me even as I am of Christ. Can you say that? You need to be able to say that, moms and dads. You need to live not a perfect life. That's not what Paul means by blameless. Blamelessness speaks of a consistency of character in which in a day-in, day-out way, each part of his life was marked by faithfulness to Christ. And he said, this is the example that I showed to you Thessalonians. Copy me. Wow. I've often thought about that. The Scriptures say that pastors are to be examples to the flock. It's a, it's a hard thing to stand up and say, you know what? Do it like me. And yet, in one sense, if I can't say that, 
then there's good reason to wonder whether I should be a pastor. Because pastors are called to be examples. Parents are called to be examples. Moms and dads, do you want your children to grow up to be like you? Say, no, nobody who is humble would ever say say that. No. Paul said that. Be like me. May God give us grace to so love holiness and so live for Christ and so go to war with our sin that our children will look at us and say, that's what I want to be like. Parenting involves affection. Parenting involves example. I'm thinking of just popped into my head. Don't mean to embarrass anybody, but I'll deal with their wrath later. I'm thinking of Dave and Patty Heidengren right now. Just, just came to mind. And I'm thinking of their children who are faithfully serving Christ. I wonder where they got that from. Those of you who know Dave and Patty know where the children got it. A model, an example of faithfulness, of servant-heartedness, of care and love for the church, of, of selflessness, week after week, year after year of Christian living. And the children are growing up to be like dad and mom. It's a beautiful thing. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'll stop there. But you get the point, right? You get the point. Each one of us, whether we have biological children or not, we have those younger than us in the faith who are looking up to us in the faith. Let us give them an example of godliness to follow. A is for affection. E is for example. I is for instruction. Instruction. Notice all the instruction words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 2, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests us. And now down in verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Did you notice all the teaching words? And Paul is saying this is what, this is what parents do. This is, this is what spiritual parents do. This is what biological, adoptive parents do. We instruct, we teach. Verse 2, we declare the gospel of God. Verse 3, we appeal 
to our children. We entreat them. We exhort them. Verse 9, we proclaim the gospel. That speaks of heralding and announcing. Verse 12, like a father, we exhorted each one of you. Verse 12, like a father, we encouraged you and we charged you. Instruction is a massive part of parenting. It is a huge part of our calling as parents, spiritual and otherwise. The Bible teaches us this over and over and over again. In chapter 78, or Psalm 78, as we looked at last week, we saw this again and again. He has established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and what? Instruction of the Lord. The book of Proverbs, I don't know if you realize this or not, the book of Proverbs is in fact a parenting manual. As you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find over and over again, the author of the book says, My son, my son, my son. This is a father teaching his children. And it's fascinating, once you understand that, it's fascinating to let it inform the curriculum of your parenting life. Because Solomon and the other authors of the Proverbs taught their children about every conceivable aspect of life, work ethics, sexual ethics, economic wisdom and stewardship, communication skills, business practices, generosity and care for the poor, justice and due process, marriage fidelity and purity, how to process and not engage in gossip, principles to, to manage wealth, benefits of accountability and correction, anger management and conflict resolution, the place of laughter and cheerfulness in life, the cost of laziness, the peril of politics, parenting principles, how to be teachable, how to discern God's will for your life. That's the, ma that's the teaching manual and curriculum from the book of Proverbs. Parents, moms, dads, that's what we are to teach our kids. There's all kinds of debate on what's the best education approach. Do you homeschool? Do you private school? Do you charter school? Do you public school? The ultimate question or the ultimate issue is not what form of education do you choose. What is most important, moms and dads, is that you are the primary, the primary teaching influence in your children's life. That's what matters. And you can take your pick of the options, but at the end of the day, when you stand before God, God is going to say, what did you teach your kids? And did you teach them the things of God? Did you teach them the curriculum of Proverbs? Did you instruct them in the Lord? Did you teach them the laws of God? Did you teach them the principles of God's Word? Did you teach them the mighty things that God has done? Did you teach them how to love their wife or their husband or their children? Did you teach them how to work hard? Did you teach them how to manage their money? These are biblical things to talk about and to teach. Instruction is a huge part of parenting. A is affection. E is what? Example. I 
instruction. O is oversight. Oversight. By oversight, I mean the watch care and oversight of the church. We ought never to do our parenting, as somebody has already said today, our brother Joel, as lone rangers. Like all New Testament Christians, the Thessalonians were church members. People faithfully and fully committed to the life and ministry and fellowship and encouragement and authority of a local church. Look at chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were members of a church because they needed the oversight and care of the church. Paul himself was accountable to the church. And we've already heard, don't miss our brother Corey's uh, truth walk uh, teaching next week about the one another principles of God's Word in the book of Thessalonians. First and second, or just in First Thessalonians alone, there are two times where we are told to love one another in the church. There are two times when we are told to encourage one another in the church. There are, there's one time where we're told to build up one another in the church. There's another time when we're told to do good to one another in the church. We are to be one anothering in the church. We are to be active in the church, and if you're a parent, you probably already know that you need the church. You need its encouragement. You need its comfort. It is a hard battle. It is hard work. And you need others alongside of you who will lift you up. And you need those over you in the Lord, in the church, who can lead you and instruct you. That's why we read in chapter 5, Verses 12 and 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. No Christian is to do life alone. No Christian is to do life or the church as optional. We all need the church. We all need pastors. We all need pastors. I need pastors. Just as past. Wednesday, Leo and Alex and Rick and I spent a couple of hours helping each other see areas of God's grace in our lives, but also areas where we need to grow. Areas of devotional life and family life and ministry responsibilities and character growth. We talked over things to help each other see things, help each other grow in faith and courage and character as husbands and fathers. No Christian is self-sufficient. Every Christian is dependent upon God who most often does His comforting, encouraging, instructing, helping work through the church. And so, you will need, parents, pastoral instruction in training to know what God says about parenting. You will, you will need ministries like Promise Kingdom and R116, our youth ministry and our young adult ministry to supplement your parenting. You will need it. You'll need comfort and help along the way because it can get discouraging. And there will be times of crisis. As Galen and I well know, 
times of crisis where you desperately need, desperately need the arms and the care and the prayer and the encouragement and the counsel of others. Um, We need the oversight of the church. A is for affection. E, example. I, instruction. O, oversight. And then U is unpleasantness. Unpleasantness. Part of parenting is unpleasant for the parent and for the child. Look at verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. These are strong words, especially that word charged. It speaks of solemnly testifying, calling these people seriously to get their act together. The unpleasant work of correction, of discipline. In chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul says, we urge you brothers, admonish the idle. There are some times when our children need to be admonished. Sometimes where our spiritual children need to be admonished. Sometimes they need to be disciplined. Over in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, just a couple pages to the right in your Bible, chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul writes, even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That's stiff. That's heavy. The first part of it is, if a person's not willing to work, if somebody who is able to work is not willing to work, Paul says what? Let him starve. Don't feed him. Don't enable him. Don't empower his laziness. Paul says, let there be unpleasantness in his experience. That's the nature of discipline, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 12, we read that all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, and yet it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parental discipline involves unpleasant consequences for unacceptable behavior. Unpleasant consequences for unacceptable behavior. There are times when discipline is needed. Not, there's all kinds of dis- discipline in Scripture. There's correction. There's rebuke. There is carefully, carefully administered spanking. There are different forms of 
discipline. One thing is clear from Scripture, it's never to be done in anger. It's never to be done in frustration. It is always to be done in love. And if not with literal parental tears, at least internal parental tears, every time it has to be done. A few years ago I came up with the 11 commandments of discipline. The 11 commandments. Number one, thou shalt respect your child as an image bearer of God. Number two, thou shalt not call your children names. Three, thou shalt not curse your children. Thou shalt not rant and rave. Thou shalt not hold a grudge. Thou shalt not scorn or ridicule a child. Thou shalt not tell your child that he or she was an accident or is unwanted or is in the way. Thou shalt not discipline in anger. Thou shalt not strike with the fist or the back of the hand. Thou shalt not conclude discipline without reconciliation. Thou shalt ask forgiveness when you fail. Sad thing about so many homes and so many lives is in the words of one man, Horace Bushnell, it is so much easier to be violent than to be holy, to substitute force for goodness and grace. Our work as parents does involve correction and it does involve discipline. And we can talk about the details and the application of those things in other contexts. But never, ever, ever let violence try to do what love and grace and goodness and teaching are intended to do. Guard your heart. Nevertheless, with all of that said, there is a certain unpleasantness to parenting. There are times when it's not fun, and yet the work must be done. A is for affection, E is for example, I is for instruction, O is for oversight, U is for unpleasantness. Now all of you are aware that when it comes to vowels, there is A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes why? Very good. Sometimes, why? So, what's the why needed in spiritual and family parenting and passing on the truth and beauty to the next generation? As, as weird as it might sound, I'm going to say that the why is an all the time, not sometimes, but an all the time emphatic yes. Yes. What I mean by that, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 says, all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Christ. That is why through Him we utter our amen to the God for His glory. We need as parents, we need as those of the older generation, as we seek to pass it on to the next generation, we need to be yes and amen people. We need to be people who live constantly in the yesness 
of God, of the gospel, of the unfailing promises of God. Believe me as a parent, you're going to need to be somebody who knows that the promises of God are yes and amen. Yes, God really is dazzling. Yes, God, the gospel really is wonderful. Yes, Jesus died for my parenting sins. Yes, grace covers everything, including all my parental blunders. Yes, God is greater than my child's rebellion or confusion or angst. Yes, I can do all things, including today as a mom. Today as a dad, yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, God is bigger than my mess and my child's mess. Yes, God loves my child even more than I love my child. Yes, God is the one who keeps my child safe, not me. Yes, God has got this. And so I don't have to panic or pout, or push to get my kid on the right path. Yes, God has a plan for my children and will write their story according to His script, not mine. Yes, God is with us and for us throughout all of our parenting journey. Yes, God will be our rock of assurance and our pillar of strength. Yes, I will have, I will have all the power and grace and strength I need to face whatever comes. Yes, God will extend my faith heritage to a thousand generations. Yes, the promise of the Spirit is for us and for our children and for all who are afar off. A is for affection. E is for example. I is for instruction, O is for oversight, U is for unpleasantness, and Y, not just sometimes, but all the time, every day, all day long, is for yesness in Christ. I suspect there are those who came today discouraged as dads and moms. Um, wondering how in the world your kids are ever going to be dazzled by God and grace because you're not sure you are anymore. You're discouraged. You're frustrated. You, it feels as if whatever you are trying to do just isn't working. Um, every parent who has ever existed has felt that at some point or another. Every single one. But we believe in a God whose promises are yes and amen. And if you're discouraged, our prayer is that somehow you will leave here encouraged. And that there will be a recommitment, dads and moms, a recommitment to parental vows. Think on these things. Talk about these things. Consider how to apply them and live them out in fresh ways. And if you are struggling to know how to apply them, then bring it up in your community group. Bring it up uh, to one of the pastors. Talk to somebody who's further along the journey and ask them for input and counsel and encouragement and
prayer. And if as, as we close, if you feel right in this moment that you need prayer, then uh, I'm going to be over here to pray with whoever would like and others can join me to pray, community group leaders and others. Um, let, me, let, me, let me say this. God is a God of wonder, might, and power. We sang today that He has raised Jesus from the dead. The, the single greatest act of power, I believe, in the history of the universe raised Christ from the dead. And He who has raised Jesus from the dead can raise you from the dead and raise your children from the dead and raise your parenting from the dead and raise your discouragement and lead you up into encouragement and blessing. May God give us parenting grace, whether we have kids or not, because there are children here in this place. There are younger generation boys, girls, young men, young women, teenagers, young adults who need somebody who loves Jesus to step into their life to lead them to Christ, to show them an example. Let's be that in our generation for the next generation. Let's pray. Father, You are the one who has loved us with a perfect love. You are the, you are the perfect Father. You're the one who has shown us such great affection. You're the one who has loved us so much that you gave us Jesus. Would you please secure us in that love so strong, so securely, that in our roles as parents and pastors and neighbors and friends where we're called to influence others, we will, we will be like you. We will love as you love. We will care as you care. We will lead as you lead. We will serve as you have served us. Bless us, Father. Bless our homes. Bless our families. In Jesus' name. Amen.